Hi everyone, my name is Pete Scazzaro. Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. Today's topic is Sabbath, part one, working from our rest. Sabbath, part one, working from our rest. And uh, the principle, very simple, of this message you're gonna hear in just a few moments is we work from our rest, from a place of rest. We don't rest from our work. There's a world of difference between the two. And just like Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, this is about capturing that verse in the way we're living day by day. This is a truth, uh, and from a text, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that has always been incredibly important to me over the years. And my prayer is that this message and this text will wash over you, will go into you, will uh, be so transformative that it will be so much a part of you that it'll impact everyone around you. Uh, part of what it means to be God's people is that we're actually uh, a prophetic sign. We're a, we're, a sign, we're a sign in wonder pointing to Jesus, tasting of the people taste of Jesus. And one of the greatest gifts we can give the world uh, and the church uh, is by living rhythms, uh, modeling rhythms. They flow right out of us. And then by God's grace, we can lead others into it. It's incredibly challenging to have rhythms in a world without them due to technology, you know, lights, social media, work. We work from home, few boundaries. Folks are just exhausted, overloaded, chaotic. It's just so easy to get swept up into that whirlwind. And so I'm referring here, working from our rest, uh, from a, a rest marked by two large realities. The first is rhythms, and then the second is Sabbath. Because the heart of original sin, as you'll hear, is a refusal to accept rhythms. Uh, it touches on our rebellion, our independence, and it cuts the core of our spiritual lives. And of course, it touches on something called limits. So I don't expand that much on the four practices that make a Sabbath a Sabbath, but we have just released a new ebook, which is free for you, and it's called Four Countercultural Practices to Start and Keep a Biblical Sabbath. And uh, we want to encourage you to download it. If you are starting Sabbath, uh, or trying to establish it in your life. It's a fantastic, it's free ebook, four countercultural practices to start and keep a biblical Sabbath. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. We're just so excited uh, for this new resources. And I get so many questions about how do I get started? So again, now as you hear this message, may this truth uh, of working from our rest get so deeply into you uh, that it may just bless everybody that you touch. Enjoy. All right, please go with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ecclesiastes 3, it's a very small book, very difficult to find. It's after Psalms and Proverbs. So right about the middle of your Bible, middle of the Old Testament, after Psalms and Proverbs and after Kings and Samuel, all those historical books, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So find that passage, and um, great passage. Now, if you look at your bulletin, we're actually on a 12th, uh, there's one missing there last week, but it's our 12th message and, uh, on the series of Working from Our Rest. And, and um, <clears throat> next week we're going to do a summary of that message, and uh, then we will pause for, good, for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, then we're going to have a commissioning okay, after Easter. So we're going to to bring us to a close here, but I've been pondering this message since we started the series, knowing this would be kind of a, 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 a an end note to it. Um, working from our rest. 
So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So just, just before I even read it, there, again, there's two extremes around work. Uh, first, there's the workaholic. And, uh, you know, and there, was a, there was an article about a, being a workaholic, and this, this, uh, this fellow was, professional was confessing his workaholism. And he says it kind of starts out like social working, like social drinking. And you boast about how much you can hold in terms of work and how you can work others under the table. And then it kind of progresses gradually to addiction. You get hooked. And then you end up, oh, as a workaholic, passing out. And he says that's kind of like becoming emotionally dead at home. Uh, you're not really good for anything. And eventually your friends and family beg you to stop and slow down, but you're too busy to listen. And uh, then when you try to slow down, you go through withdrawal. And uh, you resolve it by bringing home work on weekends, on vacations, and even going on weekend binges, and you work all weekend. Christmas and holidays and vacations are actually very stressful. And so workaholics have to bring work with them to survive. And actually workaholics dread thinking about retirement. And often when they do retire, they die quickly. Uh, work is their love, and work is actually an idol. Love it too much. That's, that's one extreme and, uh, on some of our culture. In fact, they say that the most at risk to being workaholic are homemakers, uh, professionals, self-employed, and small business people. Because the na- nature of the, the kind of jobs, kind of like working at a bar, you know, and you struggle with alcoholism. And the other extreme, which is where most people live, is also somewhere between a, a grudging acceptance and kind of I, I actively do not like my job. And uh, this large group nurses a fantasy. And the fantasy is of getting out of work and getting away from all obligations, all responsibility, and basically having enough time, enough money, enough health, enough power without anybody demanding anything from my life, and I can do what I want. And I live in this dream of living on a lake. This is my dream, you know, with a cabin and a great bakery right next door. I can write, I can read, I have easy chairs, I have games, my family's pitter-pattering around, everything's magical, I have perfect health, great friendships, I sleep beautifully, I have wonderful dreams. If only I could get away and enjoy my life, you know. And so that's the other extreme. And so what we're trying to do in this series is, is really get away from these two extremes where most of us live and, and not have a spirituality that's in a compartment, but rather have a spirituality that encompasses all of our life. And because and, uh, most people in their workplace especially do not intersect their work with God. And so really that has been our goal, uh, really, of the whole uh, 12 weeks, 13 weeks, and because you will, will spend most of your life at work. And, uh, and God intends you to have a vision and a purpose and not be resentful of it, but actually see him in it. And so, so the theme of the series has been there's no secular, secular sacred uh, division. All of life is holy. And uh, that God is a worker. He works. He, the spirit of God is working. Jesus is working right now to this very hour. You are made in his image, and you too are a worker. And uh, we are created to work as image bearers of God. It's part of our humanity. And, and work is good. When it was created by God and before sin entered the human race, work was good. Uh, in and of itself, and uh, we called it the first commission. And so work is to improve society, offer goods and services. And, and, and so we like to say in, in the great term, I am in all of us, I am in full-time ministry. Every Christian is fully called and, and a full-time servant of Christ. And I'm in full-time ministry, and I am a chef, or I am a homemaker, or I am a lawyer, or I'm a social worker, or a teacher. And I'm in, everyone, we all say I'm in full-time ministry. And so, so because of sin, however, works hard, and it's drudgery, and, and it's painful. But Jesus has come, and we're here in this room because Christ has died on the cross. He's risen again. He's pushed back the forces of hell. And one of his works is to, is to restore work to us. 
and to teach us how to work in such a way that it's very spiritual and very much glorifies God and honors him. And, and uh, as Drew shared last week, even at the end, our work will last forever somehow uh, through all time. And so he sends people like you and me into, into difficult places, sometimes immoral, evil places to work, like Daniel and Zacchaeus. And, and, uh, but our job description is to go to our workplaces and create and shape for God. We build community at our workplace. We actually build relationships where there aren't any, and, and, we, and we clash and push back the, the darkness. So like a grave digger once wrote, as he, as he makes the grave with neat lines and square edges, he said, a human body is going into this grave. That's why you need skill when you're going to dig a grave. Or a waitress who said, when I put a plate down, you don't hear a sound. And if I drop a fork, there's a certain way that I pick it up. So delicately do I do it. You know? And so it's even that I create and shape. And, and, uh, and so this, this series has been this, um, you know, your calling is your whole life. And that, but what I've, what I've waited till the end is, I want you to notice, we've talked about it, that when you do it, your calling, it's not your calling is, yes, it's a church, you serve Christ, hopefully, but it's also your personal life, your family, civic, political arena, your, your workplace, your occupation, and your neighborhood. Your whole life is your calling. But what we haven't talked about to now is the middle, and it's rest. And you probably, most of you just blew right by it when we did it every, every single week and we showed it. And this week I want to talk about this, this circle and, and the bottom of it and rest. And uh, because God offers us a very unique type of rest amidst all the stresses of life and burdens. And uh, today, it's this relationship of rest and, and your whole life. And so most of us, here's how we see it. Most people believe that we rest so we can work, right? I, 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 in fact, if you read books, you go to Barnes & Noble or Borders Bookstore, and you go to the business section, you pick up books, they will talk about, if you will rest, uh, you will be more productive. You will produce more, you'll be more effective, and it's amazing how many secular books will recommend things like Sabbath-keeping. It's actually quite shocking. And almost like they recommend daily offices without communion with God, pausing in the middle of the day, meditation, you know, yoga, something. Uh, or most folks believe that, or we rest from our work, right? We work, but I can't go 24-7, so I've got to rest. Uh, I, I need sleep, and if I work, you know, once I, I work past whatever, 8, 10, 12 hours, my productivity is going down. So, so as I work, I, I've got to rest from my work. Uh, or I just can't keep going. So, and, and I think many Christians actually you know, buy into, I think probably the second one, you know, or, or even the first one. I think it's very common. Uh, but the Bible has a, has a much larger, different vision of rest. And I want you to catch this line here, uh, because we, in a sense, are called to be contemplative workers. We're not like everybody else. We're not just busy running around. We're actually uh, contemplatives. We're, we're very aware of God. And we actually, the biblical view of life, calling, and work believes that we work from our rest. That's the line I want you to get today. Ours is very different. We don't rest from our work. We actually work from our rest. That order is incredibly significant. Now, if you get nothing out of today, and you get that one line, and you meditate and ponder it, we've had a good Sunday, all right? That we actually work from our rest. We see it very, very differently than the rest of the world. It's kind of like you know, and that's Jesus. He did work, but he worked from a place of rest. If you watch his life. And to me, a great... You know, example of that is David in, in Psalm 3. David was king of the country. I mean, David had a big, David had a big job. He was an executive. He was, he was running a country. He was, he was in leadership. He was in finance. He was a musician. He was an artist. He was doing all these jobs at once. And he, had a lot of people at, and he had a lot of people who were his enemies. And he writes this in Psalm 3. He goes, I lie down and I sleep. And I work again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. 
I mean, you see David here, but it's tremendous stress of running a country. He's got thousands of enemies that want to kill him. And he goes, I lie down and I sleep. And he, so he, he's, a, he's a great, great model of someone who, who works from a place of, of rest. And, and so that's our principle, and that's where we're going to go today as we begin reading Ecclesiastes 3, and, and, uh, which, is a, you know, which is a great text. And so here's our principle. We work from our rest. We don't rest from our work. Got it? We work from our rest. We don't rest from our work. And the order is significant. All right, so let's begin reading now. Ecclesiastes three. Oh, before I do, I want, you know, this. Uh, here, so, so this, most of us live our lives like this. This is my, one of my favorite, uh, you know, pictures. It's from when Jesus says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." And uh, a yoke was made for oxen. And some of you have seen this picture. I've showed it years ago. And and uh, but if the yoke is heavy, if life is, is burdensome, that's how it feels. As, as I go through it. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And it's light. In other words, it fits perfectly. It's not heavy. And, and, and so really it's like this, Jesus' yoke. We're under his lordship, um, but it fits who you are as a unique person. And, and actually, in ancient times, they actually crafted these uh, uh, wooden uh, yokes to put it on oxen. And so Jesus has crafted a way of life for you as an individual with your temperament, your personality, your makeup, your circumstances, and it fits you. And when you live under Jesus, okay, the way he's called you to live, it fits you. You're, you're, you're able to stand. You're not this. And so this, this working from rest um, really is, 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 a, is a call that's, um, that's to this. All right? So with that, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, because this text is the key to live this out. And... Um, uh, in fact, I'm sorry, before you read it, sorry, sorry, sorry. This text, Ecclesiastes, if you've, read, if you've never read the book, please read the book. It's a wonderful short book, 12 chapters. And it's written by a very successful business person or leader. We're not sure exactly who it is. Uh, many believe it's Solomon. And this guy's got a phenomenal resume. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, just, he's done it all. Uh, and now in this book, he's asking all these questions to himself about what is the meaning of life, and he's accumulated great wealth, great success, great power. He's had all the pleasures of life, um, and, and but he's reflecting on life. He calls it under the sun or without God. Thirty times he uses the phrase under the sun, and he basically concludes that without God, work, pleasure, success, it's meaningless. It's just it's it's worthless. And so he's wrestling with where do you find meaning. And it kind of takes you on this journey of his inward struggles that we all have. And, 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 and then he, he, he says, we find meaning, he concludes by saying, we find meaning in God. And who, who made life in such a way for us that it's actually frustrating. And he's basically saying, listen to life. And if you'll let life speak to you, if you'll listen about the nature of reality, you'll actually see God. And, you'll, and, and I'm going to use this this morning, is you'll, you'll learn to rest. You'll learn to work from your rest. That's why this text is so powerful. I could have used many texts, but it's such a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, passage. So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 11. All right, so I'm going to focus on those three. I will comment on the other verses uh, in just a moment, but I just want to read those three verses slowly, and I encourage you actually to memorize them because they're so beautiful. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 1 reads, uh, says the Lord, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven. 
And then verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. I'll read it one more time. Verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. All right. Now, to live this out, this principle of working from our rest, it is so deep. It is so countercultural. It is so far from the world in which we all live that I want us to pull out, really, it's going to require that we deeply respect the two truths that are found in this passage. And there's two. There's many, but there's two primary ones uh, that are going to enable us, if we respect them. In fact, I don't think there's any other way to ever learn to work from a place of rest. Uh, and the first, very simply, is the word, I'm going to call it rhythms. We respect rhythms, and you'll notice it in parentheses, and Sabbath. Now, this whole passage is about rhythms. And uh, it says, you know, God set up, a, there's a time for everything, or, or literally, there's a season appointed uh, for all activity that goes on. There's no exceptions. And it knows God has set up life in such a way that you and I experience life in seasons. Uh, it's it's, it's how, we, how we walk through our days. We're often not aware of it. But the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, listen to your life. And, uh, and he begins to give these examples. You know, and it's, it's all Hebrew poetry. And he's trying to show these, these great contrasts. So he starts with verse 2, a time to live and a time to die. He goes, just look at it. He goes, there's, there's a rhythm. He goes, nobody's exempt. There's an earthly life that's short, and then, then the people die. And, and then he goes and look at there's a time to plant, verse two, and there's a time to uproot. And so he takes in, in farming, you know, you got to plant, you got to uproot. And he goes, well, you know, it, it, it's also all of life. I mean, think of your spiritual life. You know, there's a time you're doing certain spiritual disciplines, and they work. You know, you're planting them, you're getting started. Then all of a sudden, your Christian life, the, the disciplines you were using don't work anymore. You're reading the Bible and you're falling asleep, you know, and you're like, what happened, you know? And, and so you go through this dark night of the soul, and you got to uproot what you learned, and you've got to learn new things, or you die. And it's a time to, so, and then he goes, there's a time to plant, a time to uproot, and then he goes, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. You know, there are times when you need to construct, there's a time to, to dismantle. And there's time to let doors close, it's got to be killed. And uh, they close whether you like it or not. There's some relationships that end, they're killed, because there's new relationships that are going to start. There's a time to hold on, there's a time to let it go. And he goes, it's part of the rhythm of life. And then he goes on to verse 4. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, a time to dance. He goes, listen, hey, uh, all part of a human existence. There's a proper time for both. And we get betrayed, we go through failures, we get depressed. And it's a gift. Something new is trying to come forth. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I rarely, you know, I, I don't like that rhythm, you know, when, when there's losses and God's planting a new seed in me, you know, for, for something new to come forth in the future. But, but really, I, I'm very aware that when I go through losses... God has deeper seeds and truths and new things that are going to come forth. And when I flow with the rhythm, I actually capture them. When I fight it and get mad and say, I don't want this rhythm, I, end up, I get nothing out of it but anger. 
And then it goes on in verse 5, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. You know, and there's a time to embrace, a time to refrain. Very interesting, you know. Even in the best relationships, the best lovers, there's a time to refrain from, from, from embracing. All healthy relationships. You know, even small groups, you know, they say all groups hate to die. Small groups. And uh, there's a time to be faithful to a small group. There's a time to let it die so a new one can come forth. But there's a time to refrain and stop. And, and as we capture that rhythm... Life is, is restful, but as we fight it, life's really hard. And it goes on, it's a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away. Verse 7, a time to tear, a time to mend. So again, he's back, he's back to grieving. In biblical times, they would tear their clothes for mourning when there would be a loss, and then they would mend them afterwards when the, when the grieving time was over. A time, I love verse, uh, you know, verse 7, it's a time to be silent. Oh, goodness. Time to speak. You know, I, I don't know about you, but how many times I have s- spoken when I should have shut my mouth. And uh, it requires great discernment to know that rhythm of when am I supposed to be silent. How many conversations I think with my kids, and I just, I blame them for goading me on. I just blurt it out, you know, and I should have shut my mouth. And, but uh, businesses are shut down, aren't they? Even comedians weep. Economies like ours go through recessions. Economies like ours go through boom times. It goes through rhythms. There is a rhythm in life. And Ecclesiastes is saying, look at life. Listen to it. And then in verse 11, it goes, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Tremendous line. God has made everything beautiful in its time. If you'll just discern it, instead of fighting it, you'll actually just rest in it. God's made everything beautiful in this time. In fact, he says in verse 11, he goes, and he has put eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, even in your heart, as I'm speaking, there's something in you that says, yes, it's true. Eternity is already in your heart. And that's why when you hear truth, something comes alive in you. You may be in such a bad place today as you walk in this room, but as you hear some truth of God, or even in worship... God has put eternity in your heart and something just leaps. It's pulled to it because God put it in your heart and he's called you to actually live from, to work from this place of rest. But he's called you to grasp this thing of rhythms. It's so profound. And uh, so think of the seasons. Think of the seasons we go through. Right now, we're going to spring. It just comes, right? Whether you like it or not, seasons are just coming each year. Can you imagine if there was no electricity? How much easier it would be to respect rhythms? I mean, just imagine life without electricity and light how much how different light life would be if we would just have the rhythms of light and darkness it would just get dark work's finished i mean you just can't work you're you're, you're just you're, you're caught up in the natural rhythms of life but because of we have we have heat we have electricity we can work work 24 7 could you imagine life without electricity no internet no blackberry Imagine this, no telephone, no televisions. I mean, how much easier it would be to respect rhythms if we didn't have all this modern technology. But we do. It doesn't mean that we don't use it and utilize it. But as followers of Jesus, we understand there's something much deeper in life going on. And therefore, we control technology. It doesn't control us. We have a very different relationship with it. And uh, we battle it. And so, and so rhythm is in the nature of reality. You've got to catch it. The very nature of reality and the world as we know it is rhythm. 
And, and, and a wise person lives in light of this massive truth. It is a massive truth. I mean, I don't fully grasp it. I've been pondering it for years because there's part of me just rebels against it. But it's so deep that it is one of the critical components of maturity is to grasp it. Otherwise, you spend your life not resting. You spend your life angry, fighting, stressed, burnt out, and bitter. So the principle is we work from our rest. We don't rest from our work. We respect this rhythm. Now, when the Bible speaks of time, from Genesis to Revelation, the, the, the one framework it gives is this notion of Sabbath. And um, uh, God works six days in Genesis 1 and 2. He, he works six, and then, then he rests. He takes one 24-hour period, it says. And, and God rests, and he declares it a Sabbath. He declares it holy. This 24-hour period, God says, is, 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 is different than the rest of time. And uh, just like there's holy tithe, there's holy land, there's holy scripture, there's holy time. And, and so God sets up a rhythm from the very beginning of history of this rhythm of work and rest, and the first thing God does after he creates is, is, is he rests. And, and then you find this in, 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 in the command, Ten Commandments, right? In the center of, of, of the people of God. God says, I want you to, to grasp this. And, and some of you have all seen this, um, you know, this Ten Commandments sheet, you know. And, and, um, but I want you to notice, it's twice it's given in the scripture. But there's Ten Commandments, and there's not nine. And, uh, but the longest commandment is the Fourth Commandment. And most rabbis will tell you that you can't keep the other nine unless you keep the, the Fourth. And uh, what's important about this is that, see, our, our culture, oh, I'm sorry, let me go this. And so, so this, this Ten Commandments becomes central to, to Israel in the Old Testament. And then you get to Jesus, who is our Sabbath rest. He says, come to me for Sabbath rest. And then we're headed in Revelation for an eternal Sabbath rest. So this theme of Sabbath is the one unit of time, of rhythm, that is from Genesis to Revelation. And it's so, again, Sabbath is so large and wide and far-reaching, it takes a lifetime to grasp it. And really, you're gonna, we learn about Sabbath really from, from, from Jewish literature, from, from rabbis who've been living in this for, for 3,500 years. And, and um, our culture knows nothing of Sabbath. Nothing of, that's not, our culture is 24-7. Um, but Sabbath literally means taking a 24-hour period to stop and rest in God. And for most Christians I meet, and uh, Sabbath is very confusing. You know, and one extreme is it's legalism. It's like, you know, God saves me by Sabbath. Absolutely not. You know, it's not legalism. The other extreme is it's irrelevant. Jesus is my Sabbath rest. I'm headed for an eternal Sabbath. It's irrelevant. And uh, I, I want to say both are wrong. Uh, let me just say this. Sabbath keeping is kind of like uh, prayer and Bible study. It doesn't save you, but it's a spiritual formation discipline that's essential to growing up in Christ. Uh, Christ saves us. In fact, Colossians says, the, the, don't, don't, don't let anyone judge you by a Sabbath day. The reality is found in Christ. And, uh, but Jesus made it very clear when he was battling with the Pharisees who made it legalistic, because you don't understand the Sabbath was made for you. It's a gift, Mark 2.27. This wasn't meant to be a yoke. This was meant to free you with regards to rhythm in life. And in fact, it's, again, it's the foundation of it. And so Sabbath, you'll notice the most detailed commandment is this, and here's how we work. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's set apart. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not a day off. Okay, I like Eugene Peterson's phrase. A day off, Eugene Peterson calls, excuse my his language, he goes, the bastard Sabbath. Because a day off is not to the Lord our God. A day off is justly for you. A Sabbath has certain qualities to it that make it a, 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 a spiritual exercise. It's to the Lord our God. And he goes, on it you shall not do any work. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. 
And the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You used to work seven days a week. Your family maybe worked seven days a week. Your culture may work seven days a week. You don't. Because you belong to me. And I've saved you with an outstretched arm out of slavery. You are now free. And I love you. And I, and I, and I, want, I don't want you stressed out and burdened. I want you to work from your rest. And I want you to enjoy my grace and my love for you, which is free forgiveness. And you're not like everybody else. You are different. I have called you out. Your life is not about what you do. Your life is about me. And so for the Jews, for thousands of years, whether they were in the concentration camps in the Holocaust, what marked them was in those camps, they stopped and paused for Sabbath. It's one of the marks of, their, of, their, of the people of God. And it's an entire reorientation of life, Sabbath, to a rhythm. And uh, I like what, what, what Abraham Heschel, great writer, great Jewish writer, rabbi, said. The Sabbath, he wrote, is the most precious present the human race has received from the treasure house of God. Well, after Jesus, you know. And he writes this, he goes, if you don't treasure Sabbath, because every Sabbath that you actually engage in it, he writes, he goes, unless you can gain to appreciate the taste of eternal life in Sabbath, because every Sabbath when you do it God's way, I'll explain in just a moment, you actually taste heaven. You taste eternity. He says, if you don't like eternity now on earth, what makes you think you're going to like it in heaven? And so I will not expound on the four qualities of biblical Sabbath, because I preached on it about I think it was three years ago now. Um, but there are, and I want to encourage you, get, all, get down the MP3s uh, offline. There's tapes. Fatima's got some copies of the, it's a four-part series uh, outside. I encourage you to pick it up. But there's four qualities that make a biblical Sabbath. It's principles. I stop. I stop my work. I rest. I delight. And I contemplate. And that's how I structure it. It's not legalistic. They're principles. And you got to work out how it works for you. But I stop. It's a gift that I receive. Uh, I, I stop work. I stop producing. I start. I stop accomplishing. Wow. I stop. For me, email and computers, and I, I don't work at home. For students, you stop studying. That's scary. But I don't define myself by what I do, and I slow down and I rest, and uh, things won't fall apart uh, if I do. And again, the core issue is is God on the throne, and and uh, so I stop hurrying. For me, I stop multitasking. I stop making big decisions, and um, and the goal of Sabbath is this. That these qualities that we engage in, just like on a weekly basis, are to inform the other six days. That, that, that this quality of Sabbath, of resting, of delighting, of contemplating God, that I'm aware of God all the time, actually infuses my work. I'm aware of him. I'm pondering him. I'm, I'm thinking of him the other six days. That is the goal. It's not the Sabbath. It's not the goal. It's a means. And... Uh, but if you don't have rest inside of yourself, if you don't have communion with yourself, with what Sabbath is about, do you realize you can't have rest in relationships with other people? If you don't have community with, who, with yourself or communion with yourself, how are you going to have communion in a body of people with other people? That's why it starts with community and communion with yourself. Otherwise, we can't have a healthy church here without healthy people who are first having rest and communion in and of themselves. It's very, very powerful to accept that rhythm. And uh, so the principle is, you know, we, we work from our rest in all of life. We respect the rhythms. Now, it takes time to figure out this Sabbath thing. And, uh, but I want to invite you to decide to keep it and establish it with a deliberate ending and deliberate beginning. Now, Peter Hoffman, my friend over there, who you all know with 12 children, uh, wrote me a great email a while ago, and uh, I, I think we underestimate how difficult it is to have a rhythm. 
and how difficult it is to actually do Sabbath. Very difficult. And he recommended, and I'm going to lay it out before, so I think he might be right, that we consider as a whole church that from Saturday night, 6 o'clock, to Sunday night at 6 o'clock, from dusk to dusk, that, we, that we, we have Sabbath, that we can encourage each other to keep Sabbath. And with those four qualities, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. But I know this is so radical to get into a rhythm. And all I can say is the Bible's rhythm, number one from Genesis to Revelation, is this notion of Sabbath. Can I believe God will take care of life enough that I can actually work out these principles on a weekly basis? And um, as I've done this for years, I've become convinced it is much more difficult than we realize. Now, Paul says in Romans 14, any day is alike. Paul apparently doesn't care what day it is. But I wonder if we don't need to consider saying, you know, as a body, as a community, let's go for Saturday night if we can do it, Sunday night, 6 to 6, and help each other, encourage others, families and singles actually do it. We're thinking about it. We're going to talk about it. What might that mean for our lives? But the heart of original sin is refusal to accept that rhythm and, uh, and Sabbath. Remember that. The heart of sin, is one theologian has written, the heart of original sin of rebellion and of independence against God was a refusal to submit to rhythm. Rather, they said, I'm a God, I'll do it my way. Well, the second principle found in this text in Ecclesiastes 3 is simply limits. It's about limits. So you said that, you mentioned that, uh, Rick, today. Rhythms and humility. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 is all about limits. Do you know what? Life, death, aging, joy, building, tearing down. You know, New Life Fellowship, there was a time I wanted to just grow, grow, grow New Life Fellowship. We're just going to keep growing. You know, No limits. We can do it all. No seasons. No rhythms. No times of pruning in difficult times. How often for me, I end up getting overcommitted. I say yes to more things than I can do. I don't think through all the implications. I don't think through how much time it's going to take. I just think I can just do it all. Forget limits. And uh, I find myself uh, in a big mess, you know, and... But uh, I want to always be happy, don't you? I want to be happy all the time. I don't want a rhythm of weeping. I don't want a rhythm of sadness. Forget that. And I I don't want limits. I just want to press on. And so when something difficult comes in my life or something's going to slow me down, I'm just mad. This shouldn't be. And so the definition of humility, as one writer has said, is knowing your limits and getting the help you need. The definition of of humility is I know my limits. You know what? I'm not God. Neither are you. And uh, you cannot impose your will on life. You can try all you want, but your limits that God has put around you are going to stop you. You know what? When I was in school, I realized I hated limits. I hated grammar school. I, I, you know, I'm kind of a creative guy. You know, I always kind of think outside. The box is here. I'm thinking outside the box. You know? And some of that's good, but no question, for me, the core was rebellion. I just I hated limits. And, um, but Ecclesiastes says there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's a limit. You will die. No one's exempt. They say 85 to 100 billion people have lived in history. You know what? Everyone has died, except for Jesus. Enoch and Elijah seem to have gotten transported, you know. But except for that, you know what? You're going to die. That limit's coming to you. You have a certain number of days. And uh, there are a lot of books written about you know, fear of death. You know, we try to deny death. We medicate ourselves against it. We try to, you know, but... but Ecclesiastes says, here's the end of the matter. Fear God. 
and keep his commandments. Have a holy awe of God because there are limits. God's got this big picture. You can't see it all, but there are limits all around you. And reorient your life to God and surrender to him rather than try to force your way, grasp your way, anxiety, fearful, trying to make it all happen. The invitation of Ecclesiastes is surrender to life. To God who's a sovereign God who's good, who's got this big picture around you. And uh, so that you can work from your rest. You know, I don't know about you, but I know I'm not working from my place of rest when, here's my list, when I'm anxious, I know I'm not working from rest. When I'm rushing and hurrying, so interesting, I was preparing this message, I drove to pick up my mom and I was racing up on I-95 between cars. I said, I am not living what I am preaching right now. When my body is in a knot, I know I am not living from rest. When I'm doing too many things, I am not living from rest. When my mind is racing, when I stop, I'm not living from rest. When I'm, when I'm not present with people, I am not living from rest. When I'm irritable and angry over stupid things, like my car tire needs air. And when I'm skimming with my time with God, and I'm saying, okay, I read, I read the psalm. I'm like, uh, happy? All right, got to go, you know? I know, I'm, I know I'm not living from rest. It's an oil light for me. Now, I don't know what your oil light is for you about when are you not working from rest, but it's very important you know what they are. And that when that oil light goes on in your car and your spirit, you actually stop because you realize you're not like everybody else in the world. God has called you out, and he's actually called you to work from rest. And so that involves embracing rhythms, and Sabbath is one of the principles of that rhythms. It's a foundational one. And then I embrace my limits and the humility that comes out of that, the brokenness that comes off of that. I was raised in a family and a culture that you work and you work and you work and you are what you do. Most of us come from families and backgrounds where love is conditional. It's based on performance. You ever have this? You did a great job cutting the grass. You got an A. You're a good boy. Well, how about this? You did a lousy job cutting the grass. You got a C. You're a bad boy. Versus, imagine hearing this. Hey, the grass you cut looks terrific. You got an A. You must be proud of yourself. Very different. It's not based on your, your, your worth is not based on your performance. But uh, this is very difficult to live from a place, to, 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 to work from a place of rest. What a challenge. It goes against our families, our society, our culture. It goes against church culture. This is like an addiction. This is like getting off crack. This is really deep, everybody. You know, you, you, those of you familiar with AA meetings, you know, this is, I am powerless. I, I can't do this. I, I can't. So I want to close with an exercise, okay? Because God says, I've made everything beautiful in its time. And uh, we're going to close with a, tr- a meditation exercise around Scripture. And here's the Scripture. And worship, I want you guys come on forward, and um, so you're ready when we're ready. But we're going to close with a little meditation. We're going to actually enter into rest. It's a good reason to come to church together. And Augustine once wrote... God is always trying to give good things to us. He's always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. It's a great image. God's always trying to give you good things, but it's like your hands are so full of other junk, you can't get it. It just falls right off. So I want you to look at this verse. This comes from the, you know, the, good, the Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay? And... You know, I, I want to bring this to a close by just sharing a couple of truths on this. That, that he doesn't say he makes me kill myself with so many responsibilities. It doesn't say he gives me more things to do in a day than I can do. 
He doesn't say he makes me lie down on Queens Boulevard, okay, to get run over by a truck. Jesus died for you, loves you, rose again. And you may be here today, and you're, 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 you need forgiveness. You're, you're ashamed. But I want, to, I want you to internalize this word from God. I want you to invite you to meditate on this a bite size at a time. Each word or phrase I give you in bite size is so you can think about it before God. So I'm going to start out, for example, you'll notice, I'm going to start out with, I know line, he. And so you, you just ponder the word he, which is the Lord, the shepherd, that, that who he is, oh my goodness, he's, he's good, he died for me, he loves me, you know, he, he's loved me from all eternity, he, 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 this is, I, I just thank him and I sit in silence that he, this is the Lord, and, and just ponder that word for about 30 seconds. Then we're going to go to, he makes me. In other words, it does, God makes you. Like, in other words, he doesn't, he doesn't like, say, would you like to lie down? No, God, is, think of wrestling, he picks you up and he makes you lie down. And you're that whole, he just makes you. That's how much he's committed that you're going to work from a place of rest. He makes you lie down. And you just ponder making you. What's going on in your life right now that God is trying to make you lie down? Although everything in you does not want to lie down. And notice he doesn't make you stand up in green pastures, but lie down. He doesn't make you kneel down in green pastures. He doesn't make you run in green pastures. He has you lying down. He makes you lie down. Lie down. That's hard, isn't it? Anything but lie down. Just flat on your back. And then it's in green pastures. It's in green pastures. 